Welcome to the first episode of Getting to Know You. I'm Cameron Edward Benton, and my guest today is Hussein Abiyanti. He is a best-selling author of Art of Resilience, The Refugee State of Mind, and he was born in Iraq. Uh, just a few years before the Persian Gulf War, his family then fled to Saudi Arabia and lived in a refugee camp for several years before eventually being flown out to Portland, Oregon, where they made a home for themselves. And today he is a successful uh, entrepreneur and best-selling author and an incredible human being. Uh, he was about a freshman in high school when 9-11 happened. And being Iraqi, uh, you can imagine the type of tension and um, experience that he had that was probably different from 99.9% .9 of the people listening to this podcast. So it is it is my extreme pleasure to get to introduce you to him, and I hope that you have a chance to listen to his perspective, his thoughts, his life, and I hope that it opens up your mind just a little bit. And without further ado, here is the first episode of Getting to Know You. Yeah, it's a it's definitely a unique story, but not just unique to me. It's it, it's the the thing that um, I think drives me to share it and be honest and vulnerable about it all is because um, it's still happening um, to many people and we need to wake up to that. And so I feel like by sharing our stories, it's a, it's a, another gateway to get people to see the reality of things as opposed to just what they're told about the reality of things. And um, you know, yeah, it's a, it's that, that urge to want to, not only improve myself because I want to take advantage of the opportunities that are granted to me now, but also um, to use the opportunities to, uh, I guess, put a message in the world that that matters, that resonates, you know, that that helps other people in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. yeah. So, to to kind of slingshot off what you just said, um, you said like you know to help people see the reality of things versus kind of just maybe like the story of how it's told. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Like how, what, what about um, reality is, I guess, different from your experience than how most people might, might see it. Yeah. Um, so I guess, you know, when, when you're young and, and these are things I'm, I've been learning in the last, let's say five to seven years, right? Because of my work, my personal work in therapy and just trying to understand myself further and all those kinds of things. Um, what I've come to realize is that, you know, from the age of like zero being born until about seven or so, that's your most impressionable time, you know, in, in your mind and how you see the world, your environment. So many things play a role in how you become who you are. Right. And, um, and, and sadly for me, that time, most of that time was spent in a refugee camp. And so, but lucky for me at the same time, I grew up with an artist, a loving family, really amazing brothers, you know, which I share about in a book um, that made that time, um, I would say, bearable, you know, because I was a kid. I, I didn't know how to translate the world around me. Um, so I was taught that this is something we're going through right now, but it's not going to be permanent. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, as far as like, um, as far as like who I think I want to become and where we are, where we were, you know, growing up in Iraq, 
I don't know what that was like. We ended up in a refugee camp at, at the age of five. And so I know what the desert is like, like barren, cold and hot desert, right? Um, so when I come here, I see the world differently because especially when I, I grew up in the Northwest, so in, in Portland, where it's like green, it's just lush, you know, uh, because obviously it rains a lot and all that good stuff, of course, but it's just like beautiful. It's the, it's, it's the opposite of what, what I experienced before that. And so, you know, how, how do people perceive water in a very rich water environment as opposed to people who see it like it's it's they got to pull it out of the ground quite literally you know um and that and so there's a different appreciation for for things that happens when you have a different lens a different perspective a different pair of struggle glasses that you look through um because you just you you literally hold you overlap the two worlds and you're just like this is where i've been and this is where it's at whoa like I want a million dollars. That's you know, it's, it's not that feeling precisely, but it feels like you won something at life because you, you know, got taken out of the darkness. So, yeah. yeah. Well, it's one of the the things that I remember distinctly about um, your experience, like in the refugee camp, and then I think reflecting on it uh, later on the book as you were, you know, by the beach was just this your relationship with water. Um, and how that changed. I think you use the words like, you know, that water for you is holy. Um, but there's this sort of like, you know, experience, I think, I forget if it's your, you and your brothers, or if it was just your brothers, mm -hmm. but like, you know, literally having to kind of haul this water back to your home, be able mm -hmm. to boil it and just kind of like anticipating and just waiting for, for something that is so fundamental to, to life. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, man. So yeah, that, that, you know, lends itself to, uh, having a perspective and um, honoring and appreciating things and, you know, gratitude and all those things start to play a role, right. Um, in, in how you see what's in front of you. Yeah. yeah. So for those of us like who don't know, who've never been to a refugee camp before um, and have no idea what that is like, um, can you kind of give us like a little bit of your experience of, of, yeah, what it's like to be in a refugee camp. Like, what is a refugee camp? How does it work? Mm -hmm. How does, is there politics, economics? Like, mm -hmm. how does that whole kind of, you know, establishment work? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, I might not be the best description of it, if you will, because, you know, my experience is very different than the people going through it today. And I, and I encourage listeners and people to go and look now, you know, see what's happening right now and how people are living and everything, because every every experience is different. But for me, um, you know, I, again, I don't know too much about the politics and the depth and everything like that. But people who leave, who are forced to leave their home, um, whether it be civil war, uh, war in general with a different country and or climate, um, which is happening now more than often um, and for seeking refuge from, you know, political asylum, those kinds of things, the, they, they're, they're all in that pool. They're all treated a little differently, of course, politically. Um, and it's really, it's really unfortunate because I feel that most, most, most refugees and where they are today and all those kinds of things shouldn't be there. They, you know, there, there is no reason to have refugees, unfortunately, 
because there's no reason to, you know, we're, we brag about how advanced and civilized and technological and amazing we are, right? We hold up awards like no, nobody's business, but we can't figure out how to sit down around a table and talk and, and not go to war, which causes a continuous ripple effect through our entire planet. People don't understand that just because a war is happening on the other side of the planet, it's not impacting you. And perhaps it didn't in the 90s, 80s, you know, 70s. Um, you know, there was a little bit of a disconnect. But today, like you feel that ripple. It goes through like, you know, it's it's there and it's visual. You see it every day. So the 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 thing about refugees is that no one chooses that. <laughs> That's not a choice. That is a choice made for you. Right. And so when you end up in a refugee camp, it's exactly what it is. It's a camp. It's a it's a concentration camp. It's where you are monitored 24 seven so that you don't infringe on someone's border or someone's city or someone's, you know, whatever. Go outside of these parameters. It's a jail. So reuse reuse the word camp and, and call it a jail. And because that's essentially what it is for these people, because they can't leave and. And their um, their surroundings and their environment is now it's like burnt soil. You can't grow. You can't do anything. It's hard to connect with people. You are emotionally and physically drained to the to you know absolute bottom. Um, and so all you cling on is hope, you know. And that's that's the thing that carries people through i think you know and of course resilience and and the, the the will to fight and continue to live and make something of oneself despite having being a doctor despite having being a lawyer despite having being a father a mother a caring son a student a, you know whatever it is these people are not just animals you know what i'm saying and even if they were we should treat them good cuz that's i mean it's the essence of intelligence is to use it through compassion. And I don't see that. And I haven't seen that. You know, um, people try, people do well, things move forward. I get that. But refugee camps are prisons for people that are displaced by things that are beyond their control. And for us to dictate who goes where and where they can't be and all of these things, when we have plenty of land around this entire planet, to construct and do whatever we want to help people, we choose not to. It's a choice. And unfortunately, it's one that we will continue having to pay for in the detriment of people's mental health. Mental health alone from refugee camps is going to skyrocket in the next 5, 10, 15 years because it's just horrendous. So well, that's how I feel. I mean, so yeah. at, at the refugee camp in of itself, everything is scarce. So you're, you're constantly in survival mode. You can't, um, everything is scarce, food, water, energy, electricity, whatever. If something is provided, it's limited. You know, if it, if it is a gift, what's behind it? You know, the trustworthiness of people goes off. Like there's so many, and, and then, and then a, a unique thing also happens. Community, bonds, uh, uh, like connections, really deep connections, friendships, right? Marriages, you know, love happens in these things, like, right? It's also, it's a, it's a micro community. So of course, those natural human things are going to happen. Birth, uh, you know, women being pregnant, like these are things that, that you have to also deal with in a refugee camp. However, there's also 
a tremendous amount of remarkable people who go unsung every day um, that work day to day on the ground with these amazing people, you know, in refugee camps all over the world. And for me, it was that it was that's what helped us come out of there. My father's are, you know, all these things that, that played a role in me specifically. But um, yeah, it's a place that when I talk about it, I want to I want people to understand how the severity of it first, but then realize that it is human, you know, and, and that it is our responsibility with capabilities to do something. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Um, and I guess for the, for the audience listening, cause I've, I've read the book and I, I know your, um, your father's story with using his art to, um, essentially kind of create a, a, a path for you guys outside of, to get outside of the, the refugee camp. Can you, do you mind just sharing that story about your, about your dad? Yeah. I mean, he was uh, an extremely talented, remarkable man. I, I was very fortunate to have had a, a father figure like that. You know, I'm very fortunate. I'm very aware of that because that's not a, it's not an everyday thing. And I'm, you know, I'm very privileged to have had that. Um, but yeah, man, he, you know, not only did he try to teach me like the morals and the ethics and the, and the way, I guess, of, of being as righteous as you can be as a human being and, and be a good person. Uh, he also was extremely like loving and family oriented and uh, religious, but also funny and poetic and artistic and um, and, and very friendly and, and had uh, created friendships and bonds. You know what I'm saying? Um, so he put a lot of energy into just who he was and, um, and I love that about him. And he painted his way basically out of that refugee camp, including, you know, alongside our family, because he convinced, um, uh, these soldiers, you know, that would be outside of the fence to bring him art supplies and that he would paint their horses or whatever, you know, their moms or whatever, whatever it was that, you know, just to one paint because it's what he loved to do. Right. Um, but to maybe establish a relationship, a friendship that um, maybe you can bring me some paint supplies and some rice. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like uh, figure it out because it's you're in this world where you got to just ask, but bring some kind of value. And he knew what kind of value he had because he carried, he's been an artist his whole life. He knows how to talk to people. He knows how to share stories to um, engage and, and, yeah, so he he started doing that, and, and one soldier sort of meeting the other, bringing him back to our tent and meeting him, and he just kind of started painting, and you know, day and night, and until he met the guy that like ran the refugee camp, and yeah, you know, about six months later, we we end up like what what seems like a spaceship to to come to America, you know, that's how I describe it, I think. Um, but yeah, man, it was it was very powerful um, what he did for us. Um, and what he did for himself, I can't imagine what that was like. Honestly, every day I think about like what, I, I don't even know what I would do. You know what I mean? If I had seven kids in a tent and my wife and the only thing, uh, yeah, like it, it's just, it's really hard even to have experienced it. Just looking back, I'm like, how the fuck did that even happen? <laughs> how are we still alive? So yeah, man, it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird thing to think about yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, you just mentioned this, but this idea of like, right, being able to still be um, alive, that it can sometimes be like unfathomable. Do you ever, have you dealt with any sort of like survivor's guilt or anything of that from, from leaving the refugee camp? 
Yeah, man, I deal with that every day. <laughs> I deal with it every day. I feel very fortunate, lucky, but also upset and um, like I can't do anything. And then I overwork and I overdo, right? Like to compensate and it's just guilt and shame and um, all that stuff. Now I know because of a lot of therapy and a lot of work is that, that that's, that's just, that's a natural reaction to the fears that come with survival. And uh, I survived and that's beautiful, you know, but not because I just did something, something I believe greater than me wanted me to survive for maybe the reason is still unfolding. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, so um, perhaps to talk about it now and bring shed light on it. Like, I, I don't know, but if that's the case, then great. Um, if not, maybe it's something else. And um, yeah, man, I feel very fortunate. And to feel guilty about it is to bring myself lower. Now I think about it like that, you know, um, because I understand that it's not guilt. It's actually gratitude that I need to feel um, and lean into more and more and, and practice patience and uh, feel fortunate. And then now that I have this fortune of existing, what do I do with it? You know, and that's, you know, and, and okay, I want to live from gratitude. What does that look like? I want to make art. I want to express and share my message um, and help people gain a, pr a better perspective about all of us. All of us meaning humanity, not just like refugees or Arabs or Muslims or Jews. Yeah. But yeah. like just, can we all learn about one another from different perspectives and respect that to a degree where we don't have to kill each other? Um, yeah. 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 I think that's a, a beautiful, beautiful gift. And, um, you know, to your point about like feeling guilty, making you lower, right. It's like that, like you said, like those feelings often, all they do is they bring us down and they don't really do anything useful where when you are leaning into gratitude and the gift that you have, you can actually make an impact with whether it's the other refugees or other people in your life, you can use this opportunity to, to actually do something, um, versus yeah. simply, you know, shutting ourselves out but you know yeah. i get it it's it's hard <laughs> sometimes mm -hmm. but yeah it sounds like you're doing a great job um i'm curious with um one of the things with the refugee camp that you mentioned is that i think you were there for what like three to five years or something, something about in that range? four yeah about four years yeah, yeah. yeah and then when you're leaving you mentioned that you know you're leaving but you know you still have friends or family and they're like, how, how, how long can people end up in refugee camps? Can people end up spending the rest of their life there? I mean, obviously the rest of your life is relative to how, how long they are, but it's like, can people spend decades there? Like, et cetera. Yeah. Like, how does that kind of work? Yeah. You can eventually spend your entire life there and, and might die there. Who knows really? Um, but my uncle, like I'll give you an example. My uncle was there from 1990 to 2004 when America went back into Iraq and freed and, and got rid of Saddam. And so that, that, that banning of, of, um, refugees that left during that war, cause there was a ban. And, and the idea is that you couldn't go back to your country. Cause if they found out you would be killed, you were, you were considered a traitor. So, uh, my uncle didn't go back and he didn't, he couldn't leave. He didn't, no one, no, uh, refugee resettlement program picked him up. Um, because they refugee resettlement programs focus on families, right? Mom, dad, kids, 
right? Like, so that they can bring over and whatever, right? Um, unfortunately, people who are like single or by themselves or whatever have just like a very low chance. Now, that's not the case all the time, but they just have a lower chance of getting uh, a visa to become, you know, to actually a refugee status so that you can actually go um, and get picked up by a, a country that is offering that safe haven, right? Um, which is obviously, as you've seen in the news, is getting rarer and harder for these countries to take on people, um, including ours. Um, it's really everywhere. Um, it's it's considered sadly a burden, unless there are there are the few countries that have considered it uh, a gift and have welcomed refugees in certain ways. Um, but but yeah, there's a there's a very interesting political perspective behind all that that i won't get into too much but yeah man i feel like um yeah i just i just feel like the 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 refugee world where i grew up all those kinds of things they are um they're behind the scenes they're behind the curtain and so when we don't see behind the curtain we can't make decisions on on what how could these people get the help they need you know i don't know if that answers your question <laughs> no yeah yeah no it does yeah i'm just I'm, you know just fascinated because you know i think even though I'm, I'm sure it's just a very small perspective of the whole entire world of refugee camps and refugees like i i had no idea you know what this kind of world was like or that that type of world existed like when i think of the word refugee i think of somebody who yes is fleeing a country but it's like okay they're in a holdover spot for three to six months and then they're you know off to wherever um and they're you know are are assimilated into a culture all this stuff and so hearing about it as this like you know like you say express as a as a prison um and you know there's no very little water uh, or food. And, you know, you maybe have two to four hours of electricity per day or, you know, these types of things for years was just kind of mind blowing to me. Yeah. Well, Um, think about, think about how much, like when you hear about those stories about a guy or a woman, even who went to jail and they were wrongfully accused, mm -hmm. just wrongfully accused, went to jail for 15, 20 years. Yeah. Right. And you're like, what the, like, how do you even recover from that? Right. Yeah. Um, well, same thing is happening to refugees. Like they are, they are essentially imprisoned for not participating or not wanting to participate or escaping for their lives. You know what I'm saying? Like just yeah. like I'm coming to the border because I can't live where I'm at. Like it's yeah. it's dangerous or whatever, right? And I don't know. I just feel like with with all the knowledge and and and, and everything we know about the world, how how is this a problem? I just, I can't, uh, it is a problem. And, you know, that's, that's the reality. And there are a lot of brilliant minds trying to figure it out and that's great. (laughs) But the fact that it's not, it's, 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 um, like you said, you know, like you don't know about it. Well, why, why do you think you don't know about these things? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, from a like technical standpoint, I would say to find out those details, I would have to like seek them out, right? It's like, it's, it's dealing with a world that is outside of my everyday other than just snippets that are maybe on the news. Um, and you know, we're bombarded with, I don't know, so many other different hot topics or this thing or that thing. Right. And there's no, there's a lot less emphasis on, it's like international challenges 
at a micro level, if you will. And I would say like, mm. not that refugees aren't a macro challenge, but you're talking really more about the the individuals, right? We're usually when we're talking about international politics. We're talking about the US mm. versus China or Russia versus Ukraine. We're talking about these like large scale things because there's so only so much, I don't know, stories and bandwidth and things that we can do unless we're you know seeking it out or unless we're finding out a perspective like yours, right? Which is why I think it's so, so valuable because um, you... Because I, I don't have these things. I, I don't have these experiences. I don't have this this knowledge and awareness yeah. outside of it. Um, yeah, unless I go sort of seeking for it. And then if there's not a natural impetus for me to seek it out, exactly. then it's just not going to be there. Yeah. Exactly. And for us to have that urge to want to seek it out, we have to be provoked in some sort of way or thoughtfully provoked or um, someone shared a story or something, right? But we will carry on with our own perspective without even analyzing it or even knowing that we have a certain perspective until we are met with a challenge uh, or opposing sort of thought or, or a way of thinking or a solution or whatever it is, right? Um, and so that's where, that's where the rubber meets the tire is that in order for us to really seek change, um, we, one, have to be the change we, we are seeking in the world. That's the most important, right? So, you know, um, helping ourselves become, get higher on the plane so that we can work from a higher place. Um, and then two, uh, you know, just dive deep into the purpose and, and really uncover more of yourself in order to serve. And so I think for me, using those gifts that I've been granted um, in that way is, I feel like it's the most rewarding, most fulfilling um stuff that I've ever been able to be a part of. So yeah, yeah man. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And then uh, kind of like really nicely segues honestly into a um, part that I really wanted to ask you about, which is uh, Mrs. Trudell, um, who, uh, you know, was this teacher who you're in a, I believe like a, a writing class and you're yeah. writing your own story uh, yeah. and an essay. And it's, it's right after nine 11 happens or right yeah. after that time. And, yeah you're going through a lot of racism, being picked on, bullied, um, dealing with all of those different feelings uh, come up and you're able to just really express yourself, it sounds like, for the very first time. And yeah. um, I just wanted to hear what that was like for you to mm. have your experience, not even just heard, but then shared mm. and how that sort of, that moment impacted your your life and your your experience of yourself. Wow. That's a great question, man. Uh, shout out to Ms. Trudell. <laughs> um, man. So yeah, like in that moment, you know, I was able, she kind of gave me the opportunity to read my paper and I didn't, you know, I didn't, I just kind of wanted to get the, the assignment done, you know what I mean? Yeah. And what's one thing I know to how to talk about, like I'm very, you know, I didn't know at the time that that was a vulnerable thing to do. To be honest, <laughs> I didn't know that yeah. I was like revealing something. I thought most people kind of knew I was a foreigner kid, you know, but I, I spoke English really well by the <laughs> time I was in high school. So it's like right. I could have been born here, but I I don't I, I stood out a little bit just because, you know, most of my peers were white, you know, or there's a few Latinos and the blacks. Right. Like this is how it goes. But I, I I blended between all all of them because. Really, there wasn't like a clique of Middle Eastern kids, at least at the time, right? right? Yeah. Like I was the yeah. only one. And so, or maybe <laughs> one of two, um, yeah. which was kind of crazy to think about because now there's plenty, which is great. 
Um, however, uh, so my identity was already blended, but I, I think in that moment in time when she asked me to, to just read it out loud, uh, it just kind of felt like a relief, uh, a sense of release to express myself because it was just like, you're so misunderstood, you know, not only misunderstood in this time frame because of after 9-11, I've been misunderstood my whole life, misunderstood by Saudis in a refugee camp, misunderstood by, um, you know, early years of, of third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade going up in, in America, you know, just, I'm just a misunderstood person from, you know, and then now you're adding a personification, like you're characterizing me, you're putting me in a box, you're identifying horrific things with my name, my culture, my identity, my religion, you know, and things that I genuinely believe in, that that I believe that they are peaceful and quite the opposite, actually, you know, and I'm just like, I'm living it. I've been living. It. I am kind to you. You know, I am night. Like I, I, I'm living those things. And be, now, because there's an advertisement here, you believe the advertisement more than you believe your peer. And so, I think in that moment, I didn't think like that. I was, I was not this mature. But in that moment, I think I was just like, um, here's where I'm from. This is what happened, and it sucks. And these wars and what's happening sucks. <laughs> for me now, it sucks for those people there. It brings back memories. It just sucks. And all you do is 10 exit, <laughs> you know? And so um, who's really the bad guy? Yeah. And, and what was your... You know, in that moment. And <laughs> yeah. so once you put that perspective, you hold up a mirror and look, man, ugly doesn't like itself. <laughs> Just ugly. Like when I say hold up a mirror, I'm talking about internally because holding up a mirror internally makes you face questioning yourself, your judgment of who you are, your identity. And when things and art and people and speeches and conversations make you question what's inside of you, um, there, there's a potential for perspective shift. And how did your classmates like receive that information in your story? Did people come up to you afterwards? Like what was kind of the reaction? Cause I remember at least in the story, like right before then you were dealing with, you know, you said a lot of that kind of immediate and direct racism that's coming out of yeah. it. And then it's just like, you have this opportunity and sounded like things shifted for you pretty significantly. The moment, although I'm sure there was a lot more work to be done after that as well, but. Yeah, I think in that moment in that class, there was just like a wave of like reflecting, which was great. And I'd love to say that like all my buddies were like, yeah, oh shit, it was great. Um, but, you know, that's not the reality. It was it was it was actually very emotional for me and a lot, you know, even my teacher and and, you know, so like that wave of emotion created that memory in me in how I felt. But, you know, for me, that's what mattered. I was free of what I wanted to say. And how they processed it at that point was on them. And I feel like at that point, I was who I am and they were who they were. And like some people came up and hugged me. Some people, you know, what's up? But, you know, the dynamic shifted. Like I felt like definitely in that class, 
I wasn't, I was my, I felt like my energy was elevated. It wasn't looked down upon anymore. Just maybe just in that class. And that helped me see myself in that way in other um, environments, mm -hmm. you know, and, and made me feel a little more welcomed, like a little more, you know what I mean? And, and yeah. sometimes, and I realized that sometimes uh, people don't know your story. You know, mm -hmm. people don't know who you are and it's hard for them to then have that empathy. But if you share your truth, now they know. And and if they make a choice based on that and, st and it still be negative, you did your part. Like now <laughs> that's, that's on them, you know? And I think yeah. that gave me solitude. Yeah. Yeah. And that was something uh, you mentioned at the beginning of this is like when you went and shared your story, right? It's like you didn't even realize that what you were doing was vulnerable. Uh, and that made me think, you know, a lot of times we often, one of the challenges we can face as human beings is like, we know our story and we kind of assume that everybody else understands us without having to have said that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm curious, yeah. how did that kind of, I don't know, change for you to realize, like, oh, that's right. People don't really know what's going on. Yeah. I mean, that, sh that shifted my perspective in that this expectation that people should treat me a certain way because I'm from a certain place or, you know, this kind of victim mentality is, is great and all, but it's not going to get me very far. And I can't just lean on just having this story in the background. Right. I, I have to just fully embrace who I am and, um, that I'm okay that I'm not African-American or Latino or white or whatever. I can actually embrace being Middle Eastern and being Iraqi and being Muslim. And that was a slow progression, honestly, because uh, because in those early years, I wanted acceptance, right? Because I wanted to be part of the cool kids. I wanted to wear the cool Jordans. I wanted, and those are the things that kind of like are like the, they're salt and peppered around your identity, you know, like wanting to fit in with the pop culture, um, uh, listening to certain music, watching certain, you know, what I, like all those things just made you feel like you're a part of a community because that's exactly what's around you. But then there was a part of me that like, I had to go to the mosque with my dad and I had to, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That for a long time, in a way I kept, I kept divided. Um, and it was really hard for those two worlds to coexist. And I feel like honestly, it wasn't until probably 2014 15 and then after my dad passed 2016 that things started to solidify it was really when i met my now wife um that things because the perspectives my perspectives and how she saw me really helped me understand more of myself and holding up that mirror you know around my jealousy my anger my things when i was projecting them she did such a good job of, and not only her, but there was many people, I just wasn't aware of it, right? That were holding up the mirror to help me identify that in myself, right? And so it's like, where is this anger actually coming from? What am I actually being angry about? And it just went deeper and deeper and deeper and I found root causes here and there. And those are the things that now I know to work through. But if I didn't know that, it would just be surface level and I couldn't get past it. And so I think when my father passed, it really solidified that it's just it's just just do your best man cuz this is this is it like it's just <laughs> you're going to end up here and here is non-existence in this reality 
So what do we need to do? Yeah. Yeah. That was very, very clear in your book that in your father's passing really provided this huge moment of, of clarity for you. Um, around you talk about like no longer people pleasing, no longer trying to do things that, you know, just there to, you know, impress other people or that kind of thing. And you just got really, really clear on your life and what's, what's important to you. Um, like, yeah. And I'm curious because there are so many people who go through death, go through tragedies mm -hmm. in their life, um, go through various things. What was it about your dad's passing in particular that really was just like, like woke you up in that way, man. That's tough. Um, one, I I think the the I think it was because it was sort of in my perspective tragic. Like it happened fast, and I didn't like. You know, the way I thought about it, or I, I thought it, I saw it differently, I guess, in the sense that he's going to be in the hospital, he's going to have a few more days, I'm going to have time, you know, whatever, weeks maybe, I'm going to have time with them, say the things I want to say, you know, all the, you know, all the, the movie element of it, right, um, which is what we all hope for. It wasn't that, it was the quite opposite, it was like plucking a hair you know it was just like you know and that sh i guess shock and awe of it uh, made me realize made me realize like everything he had been trying to teach me. <laughs> um, it like, I don't know if you've ever felt it, but like, I felt like a, um, it felt like a bullet went through me, man. That's how real it was in that the compact like all his wisdom knowledge love was like compacted in a in a ball of just heat and it just hit me and it just uh, i guess in a lot of ways i see how he was able to go through that refugee camp in that it was everything had always been temporary to him and that he wasn't clinging on life that's why it was a let's like why he was we say like when you go that fast right like when you just get plucked basically it um it's actually a reward you're, you're not suffering you're not you know you, you you're kind of already surrendered to the process of the transition going this life to the afterlife and and I feel like that's the be most beautiful gift he could have earned from this life, which is what he was always wanting. And I think for me, that was the most beautiful realization was that now I know that. Mm -hmm. I know 
that this is so temporary. Everything is like I am genuinely in control of how I uh, can sense and feel and deploy and employ my emotions, my reactions. And knowing that now I have to learn to master it. And that's the work is, is mastering myself. And I realized that through mastering myself, that's how I'll be able to see him again. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that wake up call, just, just clarity that nothing is worth chasing because it's, hmm. it doesn't matter. Hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so people experience exactly what I felt in hundreds, if not thousands of different ways. Right. Personally, for me, it was with my dad. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing, and that was, yeah, um, yeah appreciate that. Um, the thing that the, the thing that comes up for me now is a word you, you mentioned uh, several times in your book. I believe it's pronounced insala. Um, what does that word mean, and, and why is that word so important to you? Yeah, uh, it's inshallah, and um, you know, it's you. It's an Arabic word that's used in so many different ways. Um, so anyway, it's so powerful, and it, and it's just it's just to remind you that uh, it's it's uh, God's will, right? That that what you are thinking about, what you want to do, your worries, your stress, um, if you just like if you could just surrender that even for a moment, it's healthy. Right. Like scientifically, if you were just to surrender your stress, whatever it is. Right. Which is why people like escape to, of course, different types of drugs, alcoholism, you know, different kinds of addictions is to seek that level of just numbness. Right. To let go, even to surrender it for a moment. But inshallah has that that in a way similar effect in that you are taking what you are struggling with and kind of trusting it in something of like a higher, uh, a better planner, if you will, a better strategist, a better mentor, right? Like a better uh, uh, knower of, of what is destined. You know what I'm saying? Um, and and it's, a, it's a very cultural thing to say, inshallah, but it's also a religious thing to say because um, a religious in the sense that you are admitting that you believe something is higher than you. And by doing so, you are then trusting that how you feel can change for the better. Um, and this is the being that can help you go through that, right? And it's just tr entrusting that what is going to happen, putting your hope and your trust and your love into something more positive. And so inshallah also has a very positive connotation and optimistic perspective in that um, you may think you know, but what you don't know is actually way more powerful, right? Um, and so giving yourself permission to trust that unknown and be optimistic about it actually scientifically gives you room to create it, gives you room to uh, respond to it beautifully as opposed to react to a fearful thing that then changes the optimistic view to a negative view which puts you in a loop right so by saying inshallah we are actually inviting um 
the 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 most high's blessings if you will um inviting the most high to create a positive path a way forward and uh promise us a a, a destination out of this in a beautiful way and so it has again it's very jam-packed but it's right. very simple it's just say yeah. just say you know inshallah because at the end of the day we don't know what's to come I don't know tomorrow. I don't know the next 10 minutes. I don't know. So you just got to put that into something else other than you thinking about it because that's what causes anxiety, which is overthinking, which is, you know, fears, which is everything I felt as an artist and still continue to feel and work through, right? These are not yeah. things I'm immune to by any means, but these are helpful tools that I feel like he was so great at teaching me. These are helpful tools to use and deploy when you feel a certain way. And so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. I, I, I love that. And as you reflect on it, like that idea of sort of, I'm going to paraphrase, but essentially like divine surrender. Mm -hmm. Um, there is, I think it's something that was very apparent in your own, well, my cat is <laughs> wanting my, you want us to say hello. You're going to have to be patient for another baby. Um, that, in your book, it was really, really clear that you have this uh, amazing capacity to jump into that, you know, divine unknown uh, and create from this place and reinvent yourself in so many different ways. I mean, you, you know, you obviously you go from um, the refugee camp, you know, going through school in there, you move to America, you kind of figure that out, you write, you write a, a children's book uh, when you don't realize it's uh, sort of what you're doing on the side of like large national level. Uh, and then you, you know, you start getting into the writing and speaking and then, you know, you start your screen printing process and then you go into architecture and then you go back, you know, back into the screen printing process and then you've created refugees and you're, you're, you're constantly this, um, this amazing, you know, gift to be able to reinvent yourself and develop and go from, artistic and entrepreneurial endeavor to a different one. Um, mm -hmm. How, how did you develop that gift and ability? Or is it something that you've just kind of intrinsic? Is it something that you developed from your parents? Like, where did you, where did you get that? That's a really good question, man. Um, first of all, thank you for reading the book. <laughs> Second of all, um, you know, I think there's two parts to this. Okay. So for me, one part is, um, um, so my second book, which I'm working on right now, is is really talking about this very thing in depth. Um, but in a nutshell, like it's not just who I am; it's who my ancestors wanted to be and couldn't because their resources, land, whatever. The, there's so many things that happened in the past that have created fears. In, in, in lack of opportunity for my ancestral heritage. And so what gets passed down to me is a survivalist man mentality. Um, however, I am gifted at different things because that's in my bloodline as it is in yours, right? Our human bloodline is amazing in that we actually know very well how to survive. We know how to, you know what I'm saying? Like if, if rubber meets the road, man, we will survive. We will figure out a way, right? And that's what's beautiful about human ingenuity. But I also feel like a ton of my grandparents and grandmothers were artists. A ton of them 
probably made rugs. A ton of them were poets. A ton of them were artists in all kinds of ways, right? Um, they all served their communities. Some of them may have been bread makers. Some of them have, have just been calligraphists. I mean, those are beautiful things that for a long time, the Middle East led the world in, right? And so when I do these things, when I'm shape-shifting, if you will, or growing, right, into who I want to be, um, people look at that as change. I see it as evolution. I'm evolving as, as an artist. And I think as a human being, well, most importantly, right, um, because if you think about it, so many people get burned out because they're doing the same thing for 15 years straight, right? Of course, you're going to get burned out. And I've been burned out too. I did, man, I print, I owned a print shop for 15 years. Like I did the same thing to myself, even in the creative field, right? You get burned out, it doesn't matter. It's just if you do the same thing over and over. But at the same time, parallel to it, I'm interested. I'm interested in my, I'm interested in my abilities to speak. I'm interested in my ability to write. I'm interested just in my human nature. I'm interested in my spirit. I'm interested in why I exist. I'm interested in God. I'm interested in the idea of non-God. I'm interested like, okay, these are these are interesting ideas. Okay, let's talk about that. What makes sense to me? How does that make sense? You know, and all these beautiful things. I'm interested in other people, which is why I do the podcast with, with Scribe, you know, or do my own thing. Like, I'm just interested, man. I think this world is beautiful and has so much to offer. And I have so much fucking opportunity. I feel like I have more opportunity in my lifespan than probably all of my grandparents combined. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. um, so that's just just goes to show you that when you unleash someone's potential, that when you unleash someone that's been imprisoned in a way, right, metaphorically, um, from not being able to, partic to participate, from not being able to do these things, to not start a business, to, to not whatever... When you finally allow them to do whatever they want in a way, right, um, then things get really interesting because then I can take my capacity and expand it as much as I want um, in whatever direction I want. And of course, if I get further educated, then I further understand multiple different things. And I think the evolution of a person is a good thing. Um, we should be constantly improving our skills, improving because through understanding and improving our skills we understand ourselves we understand our passions and we lean into those more and by, by doing that we be, we reach a higher level of ourselves. and i think what, what better way to spend time on earth than to you know gain a higher perspective of yourself and be even further in gratitude because i think you know if one thing the quran has made clear is that well, i was just like look at yourself like like i i, I challenge you to find and imperfection with how your body works, how you, just your senses are, you know, like everything about the human being. That's just the human being. Then there's the rest of everything else that's around us that we have no clue even exists. You know, like, so powerful, man. Um, so I take that concept and I say, okay, yes, I've also had to kind of shift gears and move, navigate through these different things and re, quote, re, quote, reinvent myself. Um, because I've also been in this survival mentality too. Like I don't, I don't know credit like people do. I don't know how to buy a house. And when I finally did, it was incredible, but it was, you know, like, I don't know, no one's taught me these things. I literally have to go and figure this shit out and ask a bunch of people questions. And, you know, so it's not like I'm naturally gifted at just like 
navigating these things and running successfully. No, by any means, it was, it's been a, a trial and error process for sure. However, I, I also don't want to leave anything on the table, meaning like I want to live my life fully and really experience the opportunity of existence um, and, and try to figure out, which is really hard, how to just continue, just be a just better human being, man. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for, thank you for sharing that. Um, you, you mentioned the word opportunity a couple of times. And so I wanted to segue into some questions I had about uh, what is often considered the quote unquote land of opportunity, America. And like in, again, in reading the, the book, when you're in the refugee camp, there is such a, a, a wide eyed um, look at or thought, I guess, about like America, right? It's, it's through the movies. It's through all of these kind of things you're hearing. It's the the plane landing. It's the uh, the blonde haired woman that you see for the first time and, you know, looking at it and being like, oh, is her, is her hair painted on? It's all these little things. And, yeah. and I'm curious, like, what was your thought about what America would be like? How did that um, maybe change or shift when you actually, you know, arrived in Portland, Oregon, which you've probably never seen in any movies before? And then, like, how did that how did that kind of continue to grow and develop, which I'm sure shifted through, you know, the stuff with 9-11? And then as you're an adult now, I'd love to hear you chat about that. Because, again, I think you have such a unique uh, perspective on America, mm-hmm. which is always a, a controversial and hot topic. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, man, um, first of all, America is great at marketing. <laughs> you know oh, that's saying? great. Like, they're just good, man. It's good. It's great marketing. I mean, Hollywood is a fantastic marketing tool. Hmm. Um, so that's one. Two. Um, look, man, yeah, 100%. It is the land of opportunity. You come here and do whatever hmm. you want, you know, as as long as you're in the confines of the law, of course, and, and not breaking too many rules, right? Um, <laughs> you can... You could do you could do amazing things. You can become who you want. You can go into whatever field world to to help your family. Um, but it also has the flip side, which is the dangers of it. You know, which is like losing yourself in that kind of because it because it's so free. Um, it's like it's hard for people that came from you know like my parents. I mean, Islam is conservative, man. I mean, let's just be real, right? It's a conservative way of thinking about the world uh, from a very, I think, loving place. It's not, you know, conservative just because, oh, it's how we do shit. Like, no, it's it's from a very loving place. However, it's completely mis- misunderstood and misinterpreted. But the but the thing is, is like when you bring that that into this environment in this world, it does grow and and and, and flourish. However. Um, w- but by you maintaining some sort of boundary, by you maintaining some sort of discipline that connects you to your culture and your heritage, because why else would you come here other than to practice your culture and your faith freely, right? Like, um, and and potentially get a job to where you can serve and help your family, especially when your home has been destroyed by the same country that now you live in, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's just yeah. a fucking oxymoron, you know what I mean? You're just like, yeah. I have to be kind to all these people who voted for specific things to happen, which led to certain things, which led to other things, and now I'm here. Hmm. What the fuck? You know what I'm saying? And it's, <laughs> yeah. it's like, it's a weird thing, man. And they're mad at me for whatever reason, <laughs> <laughs> which is fucking hilarious. But anyways, yeah. um, and it's because of lack of knowing, lack of knowledge, lack of actually 
connecting with people and understanding these things. Not saying that most people are like that, not by a long shot. Most people are actually phenomenal. They're beautiful human beings who care or else our world wouldn't be where it is. So um, I guess back to your question in that, you know, how, you know, I think for me, it's, it's just simple, man. It's just like, I just want to be able to, in a way, just like, not just express myself, but understand the reasoning behind all of these things behind the curtain and come to terms with, you know, just come to terms with being able to have opportunity is like, it's really hard to describe to people who are immersed in it and don't understand. Like, it's like, it's, you have running water all the time, like forever. It's what it feels like. You've always had it and you're always going to have it. It feels like infinite. And hot water running. Hot, hot water, right. Like clean <laughs> and all this yeah. stuff, right? So to if you were to just take a pause from that for a week, just water, like, um, or that you have an opportunity that you have a ton of water and your neighbors don't, you can charge for it. You can give it away for free. You can whatever. You have now an opportunity to do something with it. And so it's not that there are opportunities here that I could take advantage of. It's the knowing that I am provided an opportunity. And if I want to take advantage of it, then I have to put in the work, right? Opportunities aren't just like, here's a million dollars, go do what you want with it. <laughs> no, opportunities like you are safe right now. You live in this home. Um, what do you want to do from here? You have food, you got to go get food, right? Like that's first step, right? Like get a job. And then it's building on those opportunities. It's it's taking advantage of what is already existing. That's why immigrants and people from refugee camps and things like that, when they come here, they don't take it. They take advantage of the opportunities because they're not readily available where they come from. But here they're so available that people see right through them. They see past them. Right. Or that they should be like given these opportunities, like just because, you know, they should be afforded them just because. And that's not how opportunity works. Opportunity is, is actually. It only comes to those who genuinely, I feel like legit opportunities to make a good life for yourself. Uh, come to those who are seeking it out. <laughs> like you said earlier, you got to seek those things out. And um, just because it's available, it also doesn't mean it's easy. And so I think for me, taking advantage of opportunities is, uh, you know, it, it just as much as it's saying yes, it's also saying no to things. So, yeah. 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 Thank you. These are great questions, man. I'm, I'm glad you're. Thanks, man. Um, enjoying this. I, I'm enjoying it, too. I hope I'm not being too long winded. No, no, uh, not at all. I, I love your, your answers. You've got some. I think you've got great perspective and, and great viewpoints. So uh, one thing that really struck my mind uh, as I was reading the book, which I probably said a thousand times at this point now, um, but was you're asked what you want to be when you go to college. And you have this teacher who, who asked you that question and you say architecture. And mm -hmm. I am just curious um, because it seemed like such a clear goal. And at least the way that I was raised and where I was, I never would have thought of, 
architecture in junior high or, you know, late elementary school or whenever that was for you. Like why architecture? Why were you drawn to that at such a young age? Because man, I mean, our Arab world, we, we see greatness. See, this is what people don't understand. Like the Middle Eastern culture is like, I feel that the Islamic identity that runs in my blood personally um, is a, is challenging me constantly because in the Quran, Allah challenges the human being says, you know, I challenge you like to, to, to use your senses to, uh, you know, your senses, basically that's where science comes from is our senses, our ability to hold and touch and smell and right. And like, that's what activates our intelligence. And I think for me personally, it's in my blood. It is mm-hmm. in my heritage. It is in yours as well, because most human beings come from, you know, what we now believe is Africa, which obviously moved into the Middle East where civilization kind of spawned. And whether we believe in that idea or story or not, that's not the point. The point is um, our ancestral heritage is very, very deeply rooted in the region, right? And respectfully, I come from that region and so do you. But I think for me, because I've recently come here to where your perhaps your ancestors came here a lot further back. And you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. as far as how we moved in this on this earth, I think for me, architecture is is it's in my blood. It's like art in of itself, like calligraphy, like like creating the dome, like creating the arch, like creating, you know, the science of it, the, the mathematics, the, the algebra, the chemistry all these remarkable things were happening. That's still who I am. You know what I'm saying? I'm, just, I'm connected to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do I access it? And I think that belief from my parents that I could do something like that, mm-hmm. right, is huge in the immigrant and refugee world, right? Um, they all want you to be great, man. They always want to see you do better than them. Like my dad didn't get to go to college. He never even finished high school. But so for him to see me go to college was like, he went to college too. It's like, if you make it, I make it. You know what I mean? And you're holding their heads up high. And it's because college wasn't afforded to them. They didn't have the opportunity, but I do. So taking advantage is taking action, right? That's what it is. And you are commended for taking action because everybody's afforded the opportunity here. What action are you taking? It doesn't have to be college. It could be starting a business, whatever it is. So, or doing really well at your work. I mean, just showing up to work in a beautiful way that's optimistic. That's taking advantage of your work. That's making it work for you. So, you know, at sixth grade, seventh grade, I knew because my mom and dad were so good at like embedding those ideas, right? Like, oh, you're going to be an architect, an engineer, like you're an art, you're an artist, like you can use that and, you know, you'll earn great money. You'll build your mom and dad a nice house. Mom's like, you're going to buy me a car. You know, they're, they're, they're shaping you to be the 401k that they don't, they never understood, right? Like, you know, my mom and dad, exactly, right? So, but they're also believing in you. They want you to succeed. They want you to do good in this world. They want you to be occupied with an occupation that you enjoy, and so they see these things in the future out for you. Now, some say that's great. Some say that's bad. I think it's a mixture of both. You know what I'm saying? Like for me, it's it, it was hard at times, but I'm grateful that it happened because it pushed me, right? It challenged me. It put me in, in places where I got uncomfortable, which brought more of myself. So genuinely, they saw my potential long before I did, which usually happens 
when you're dealing with mentors and parents and people who um, who are further in life, experience more in life, and they know what they um, they were capable of. However, they probably missed out on it, so they don't want you to miss out on it. And they and they channel that energy on you. And again, it could be too much at times, which which we see happen. And sometimes it's not enough, right? Where they're so like, do whatever the fuck you want, and and that turns into you know, a very not great experience, right? So, you know, there's a dial and in, in where it is in that thing. So for me as a young person, I had a really clear idea and it seemed like it was clear, um, but, but that was only because the structures around me, man, the people around me who believed that I could do cool things like that, right? So when I said architecture in that moment, um, and not a whole lot of people say things like architecture or, and, you know, like higher education, um, it's hard for people to believe that in you, but my parents did, you know what I'm saying? My, my, my brothers believe I could do it. I don't really care that you don't because <laughs> I value their opinion more. Right. And, um, yeah, yeah. Not every teacher had the most positive influence, but some of them try and some of them do a really good job. And so like everything else, it's a spectrum. Yeah. Cool. Cool. And so with, yeah. um, you mentioned that a few, a few times, this, this, um, really strong connection to your past and your lineage and, um, I'll give a little bit of context here. Cause I, I know that you mentioned also, you know, your dad, um, that was one of his sort of fears, right. Was this, um, kind of a, f- a fear that as you could have assimilated into American culture, that you might just kind of get separated from that lineage or forget about your, your past and your culture and your history. And it's such an interesting perspective for me because I grew up, um, again, uh, you know, white suburban, uh, I grew up in a non-denominal Christian church where the main idea or what was sort of special about us, if you will, was that sort of, we didn't come from a tradition, right? So we were, we were sort of, you know, um, proclaiming right it was like it wasn't about the the history or the heritage or we didn't have a catholicism where you could trace our back it was like we were just about the bible and you could you know believe and you would have those things and so there was almost this pride growing up and not having a a past if you will mm-hmm. not having mm-hmm. a lineage mm-hmm. and it's interesting because i also look and like i don't have a strong connection to my people if you will like i know that my grandpa's dad was an orphan right so there's only you know, potentially, I guess I could look, but there's only so many generations I can look back there. And there's some other things mm-hmm. like I know my and you know, a great, 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 great uncle was uh, Brian Brew of the either the Scots or the Irish. And he like mm-hmm. there's a, you know, he was supposedly the last king uh, to kind of unite that area. Oh, uh, man. We got to yeah. get you your kingdom, bro. What are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and so the, the, the cool story with him actually is that the, the myth, at least, is that the Vikings had sent... Um, the Vikings sent a bunch of assassins to kill him in his sleep. And so they all stabbed him and then he woke up oh. and killed them all before he died. So that was sort of like <laughs> yeah. the, <laughs> the legend at least. Yeah. Go uh, out like prob- a savage. I love it. Yeah. Probably a little bit of artistic leeway there, but still a cool story. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm just, yeah. I guess all of that to say, I I'm really curious about your, your connection with your lineage and, and how that has shaped you. And, you know, it sounds like it's still important to you. And how do you, how do you, 
work to continue to honor that, you know, moving forward and passing that along to um, kids if you want them or, or kind of spreading that, that culture um, to the other people in your life? Mm. That's a really good question, man. I, you know, I'm writing a lot about my heritage and my lineage and all those kinds of things in my recent, in my new book. Um, but I think for me, like, you know, our identity has to be connected to something, you know, like who we are cannot just be a manifestation of just right now, like of, of the, the, the 37 years that I've lived can't be the only thing that dictates how my emotions are, how I see the world. You know, there's a, there's so much, there's weird, like anger feelings and all these things that are so tucked that I'm like, you know, the deeper I go, I'm like, this is not even me. I'm not even mad about that. Like who is, mm-hmm. you know, what is, yeah. why yeah. do I feel that? And so, well, where is that? And so we think DNA just passes down our genes and all these things. I think, you know, there's also a passing down of like spirit in, a, in, a, in the spiritual world. There's a there's a passing of information as well. There's a passing of stories. Um, there's a there's an energy to to everything and everyone. And um, in order to deeply connect with uh, the world in which we inhabit, we we I feel like it, it'll be doing ourselves a disjustice um, and injustice by 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 not knowing who we are you know what i mean it's like the biggest scientific question right it's like who are we where we come from where why are we here you know all of these things are actually all philosophical and very religious too <laughs> like you know what i'm saying it doesn't mean just because the, the quran is very clear about everything it doesn't mean that i've gotten to a certain point of understanding you know what i'm saying it's just like yes there is an explanation here but i need to figure it out for myself right it's like it's like, a, it's like the math equation that changes for every single person because you have to do the work in order to understand the the manifestation of the words, right? Whether, it doesn't matter. Judaism, Christianity, whatever. You got to go do the work, man, before you talk about being a Christian or being a Muslim or being a whatever, right? Just reading the Quran ain't going to get you there. Like You have to experience life as such. And from that, you start to coordinate and align things how you see fit. You know what I'm saying? So I think for me, man... Like, I just feel like my heritage is a, is a huge, important role in who I am and what I choose to be and what I, how I evolve and what I grow into and how I pay homage to that. I feel like um, it is a beautiful, underrepresented area of the world that has unfortunately been uh, completely misinterpreted and misunderstood by the rest of the world. Um, for a very long time now, and it's 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 frustrating considering that the algorithms that these very computers run on, um, this idea of algorithm was invented in Iraq. You know what I'm saying? By Al Khwarizmi, a remarkable scholar. There's some tools. There are tools that we still use for eye surgery that were invented in Spain by by Islamic scholars. There are you know, chemistry, the idea of soap and quarantine was invented by Islamic scholars. Like we put forth so many beautiful things and exported so many beautiful things from our heritage to the rest of the world. Um, not to say that there at any point it wasn't violent, not to say that, the, you know what I'm saying? But at the end of the day, none of that is recognized. And But when we fail to recognize our past and who we are, where we come from, or just human history in general, we fail to recognize ourselves today. 
and how we connect to people. Because when I share all these things and when I say, bro, you're like my brother, because we go back to the same region, if you go back far enough, that, that, that it makes the the animosity, the fear between us, the, the things kind of blur and go away so that we can actually see each other for who we are today and recognize that our past has been filled with trauma and killings and this and, and the good and the bad and the ugly and that we it's our responsibility to heal and move through that. But if we're not going to have a conversation, if we're not going to talk about it, whatever, then it's going to be harder to move through that. You know what I mean? And, and recognize it. And so I think by connecting my heritage and believing in it and knowing it and studying it and understanding it, I know now then when that is at a threat level of someone trying to take that away, because I know the, the sad part of being removed from that is that I am lost. I am disconnected from my truest of identities, which is that I'm a human and that I have rights and that there have been hundreds of thousands of people who have fought for those rights and that um, wherever I seek to live, I want to be human. I want to be treated as such with, with respect and divinity and love and kindness. And I want to be a part of creating that type of world. And so, you know, whatever it takes to create that. And I think a part of that is recognizing where we come from and who we are. Yeah. And I love that. Um, that something that Please forgive my of. puppy because she agrees. But <laughs> she, It's she... all good. good. People just know it, it makes the podcast more real. I think whenever yeah. little things like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the things that you made me think of during that was this idea of seeing like the full picture. And um, one of the things I think that we deal with in America that we have been dealing with, you know, obviously more recently with the Black Lives Matter movement and, and dealing with this is the, um, kind of you said, like uh, deconstructing the American marketing, right? And not necessarily to the outside world, but our own history, how we see things, right? It's like, oh, well, here's our history books that can paint one particular picture of our past and our history. And those things are true. However, it's incomplete, right? There's there's this lack of like, oh, there's all this other stuff that happened. These maybe dark things we don't want to look at, these challenging questions that we have, the, the lack of things that we did or the atrocities that we committed, um, that if we don't look at them, we really can't move forward with wisdom. And what I hear from you when you're talking about the connection to the lineage, and I think you, you so beautifully brought this up um, over and over again in the book and just subtly and subtly in such a way where I'm like, I really want to learn like more about like Arabic history, both in Iraq and um, with Islam throughout the culture with around all of these different things. Cause it's like, it opened up my mind of just how much beauty and magic um, has come from that space. And to, to the point that I'm kind of circling around to is, you know, with this idea of the complete picture, how in America we maybe, have this positive view and then we have to kind of work in our dark side. A lot of times it's like, okay, well we have, you know, the middle East, which is this dark, scary place uh, for most of us. And it's like, Oh, actually there's this history and there is this richness, this culture. I think you talk about it, right. Your, your dad being really um, prominent during the sort of uh, artistic Renaissance of like the fifties and sixties in this kind of really rebirthing space. And you mentioned the kind of the golden age of that time and the, uh, I don't remember if it's the school of wisdom or the, the library of wisdom or whatever it was. Right. But like these little pieces of that it's, yeah. 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 Um, and it's just like, wow, there's so much more to our world than 
I think we often really realize um, and being connected to, you know, our larger human story that you're mentioning, right. Of, and painting those fuller pictures so we can see, Hey, here's all the, the crazy shit we've done um, on, on both sides on the good and the bad and in between the artistic creators, the, the, the things that we lost. Right. Because in a lot of ways, and I, I thought it was fascinating. It was like the, I apologize. It was the, the library of wisdom or the school of wisdom. Oh, house of wisdom house of wisdom thank you yeah, yeah. yeah the house no, of wisdom all good yeah which when i did just a, t- a tidbit of research was you know essentially this <laughs> almost exactly like the library of alexandria right it's this idea yeah. of like hey there's all of this history all of this culture all of this stuff and then it's you know lost it's burned it's it's that yeah. they, they said that the um whenever the the written words are basically like they painted the Dude, river the Tigris River black, I believe, with ink. Yeah, um, exactly. The Tigris yeah. River was black. The, the 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 Euphrates was red from all the scholars that they killed and all the the ink from the books that they threw in the in the in the river. And you know, now whether that's a metaphor or a true statement or whatever, it was brutal when that when Genghis Khan got to Iraq, unfortunately, um, and that was the first devastating blow to the Islamic um, Renaissance, if you will. But also it gave birth to the European Renaissance, and which is why the West even has a history to call history uh, is because the Arabs documented it. Like they were so good at translating and documenting Greek work that was then reproduced and reintroduced into European cultures, right? So a lot of people don't understand that the Renaissance in of itself was being birthed by the death of unfortunately the decline of the Islamic empire um, or the Islamic revolution. I don't call it the empire. It's an Islamic state of mind. It's a thought. The thought was advance, you know, advance in knowledge, advance in beauty and art and love and kindness and advance your human abilities. And guess what we embrace today, bro? Exactly that. Because at the height of the golden age was nourishment, was People had welfare. People still can't figure out how they made these aqueducts and they lived <laughs> well and they lived peace yeah. and they lived in harmony with different faiths. And actually the house of wisdom was the most inviting of all places. It literally brought samurais from one corner of the world and, and architects from the other side of the planet. And, and they brought them there to study and learn and teach. It was the Harvard of its time, right? Times 10. So when you have a place like that at the core of who you are and, you know, as, as a human being, it's hard not to take advantage of what's around you today. And I feel like I take advantage of a crumb compared to what my colleagues and some people that have been able to get their hands on opportunities in America to, to do something amazing. And unfortunately, now the tables have turned like we are in the dark ages or the Middle East is in the dark ages and the rest of the world is flourishing or to some degree. Right. Um, and sadly, because of geopolitical issues and all of these things that play a role, of course, uh, it's not just the faith. The faith actually propelled us forward, um, never held us back. And that's the thing that I always get back to. And what I wanted to touch on in my book a little bit, the previous one, was that um, how misunderstood that culture is and in and, and that place of the world. And I'm glad that it has given you such a different perspective. And I'm glad that it made you research and just look it up um, because it is fascinating. It still blows my mind. Um, and I'm from there. <laughs> Yeah. So. Yeah. I think it's one of the things I'm, I'm constantly blown away by is like, 
you know, we go through, right. I should speak from I, like I went through high school and, you know, studied quote unquote world history. And yet it's like, there is such little of the history of the world that we really take in. Um, you know, it's really kind of European history, but in a very particular told in particular way. Um, and it misses so much of this wider picture. And then it's like, we kind of just, we go through high school and we go through college and then we just stop. Right. And unless we go yeah. into history um, yeah. and realize what else is out there. I mean, I don't know if you've ever read or listened to any of Dan Carlin's uh, hardcore history. Uh, it's an yeah. incredible podcast. If you want to go into um, like the Mongols and, and Genghis Khan and yeah. that, that whole yeah. world. I mean, that is, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's wild. I mean, like basically European civilization was like, you know, an inch away from uh, being obliterated, except that like, I believe it was Genghis. Genghis basically gets sick. And so the armies before they're about to start entering into that space, all pull back. Yeah. Um, and it's like, they were just destroying everyone. Okay. Um, I mean, I think it's like one fifth of, um, I don't know if it's people in Asia or people in China are supposedly descendants of, of Genghis Khan, yeah. um, which is just insane. <laughs> Um, and yeah. to your point there, right. There's even the, all of us coming back from that same heritage to a degree. I mean, I was just listening to a podcast and the guy was saying how, you know, our mitochondria, uh, which is the power plant of our cells, um, all stems from, uh, you know, it's always passed down from the woman, uh, mm -hmm. our mom. Right. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. based on that, we can theorize that that mitochondria functionally comes from one woman to basically every human being on the planet. And that is just like a really, really profound thing to think about of like how connected we really are. Right. Um, yeah. And, and to your point at the same time, like how little things in some ways, like, you know, legacy matters because, you know, in 10 years and a hundred years and a couple of decades, like, you know, you could be rich now and then your, your family's going to be living in a complete different country and as a refugee in you know 200 years like you, we have no idea where any of this is going to happen right. and yet we all are connected and i think yeah. that's when one of the gifts even though i know that there's a lot of challenges with social media and all this other stuff it's one of the biggest gifts of social media is that we're able to really start to see how interconnected we are you know mm -hmm. it forces us to really be like oh like we're starting a war with that person that I just like exchanged photos with who lives across the country. Like why they don't want war. We don't want war. We're seeing the people, yeah. right? We're, we're getting out of just the, the talking heads who have power and we're able to actually talk human to human being like, yeah, well the people don't want this. <laughs> so yeah. we can figure out another way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think all change always rises from the bottom up. Um, I think a lot of people try to just leave change to happen from the top down. And I genuinely believe, because if you think about uh, it's, or at least that it's very rare that it comes from the top to bottom. But I feel like a lot of a lot of change that's happened in our world has always come from people like you and I. Just what we what we deem is just kind of average people who wanted to see some change and did it in a way that's really profound. I mean, take Malcolm, take Martin, take. And, and I mean, they said some shit that was not, that was not uh, <laughs> good for the time, right? They, mm -hmm. they were literally putting their lives on the line and they did, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, so all, so a lot, I feel like sometimes we look for profits, we look for 
a Jesus-like figure and all of these things, one, to save our world, but you got to look for yourself to, to save yourself. That's number one priority. And then I think uh, seek ways, um, just the simplest ways, which I feel like smiles, waving, uh, congratulating, showing up to a thing that you would normally not show up to, uh, meeting people, listening to people talk, uh, talk about and tell their stories and not just podcasts. I mean, these are, these are obviously are really great platforms, but man, take your friend out, take your colleague out for some coffee and get to know them. Uh, take your teammate out, uh, do, you know, don't go to just the bar, go to the coffee shop. You know, if, if Ramadan's coming around the corner, what can you say? What can you do? Can you provide a prayer rug? Can you provide a space for, you know, like, there's so many ways to take advantage of opportunities that you already have that cost you nothing. Like smiling costs nothing. Waving at people costs nothing. That's acknowledging someone else exists. And that's powerful to be just acknowledged, man. I mean, people are killing themselves, quite literally committing suicide to just be acknowledged, um, loved, and, and you know, appreciated. And I think the more we have these discussions, the more we are open with who we are and, and posting and, and doing the things, you know, aligned with who you are, of course, watch your health around that. Um, but, but yeah, you're right, man. I mean, the more we come to that, then I think um, places of leadership, once we start to evolve here in the, in, in the next, you know, five to 10 years, things will change. And, I, and I'm eager to see them in a positive way. So, yeah, yeah, beautifully, beautifully said. Um, now, one thing that we, we haven't gotten into much is, although we've talked about with relative, relative to your heritage, uh, is your relationship with uh, with Islam and, and Muslim and sort of the, the religion mm-hmm. aspect, the religious aspect, which your, your dad was really committed to, I know, his prayer practice yeah. and, and the religious thing. Like how, what is your relationship with uh, religion and Islam in that way? Um, is that still a part of who you are from you know, a religious aspect? Is that something you have modernized? Like, yeah, how is that in your life at this moment? Yeah, man. I mean, talk about perspective. To some people, I might be religious. And to some Muslims, I'm probably the furthest thing from religious. Like, I don't know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I, I, it's really hard to live in dogma, which is like other people's way of thinking about those things. So I try not to anymore um, because it helps me just um, really lean into how I see it and how I choose to see it through studying and learning it. Right. Not just like, this is how I see it. Duh. Done. No, it's an evolving thing. It's a growing thing. And I think uh, for me, there's nothing to give up. I feel like I've earned everything in the sense that um, what do all faiths try to teach? Like uh, be peaceful, be humble, be kind, treat others with love, respect, whatever. Literally across the map, they say the same thing, right? So for me, they're all rivers leading to the same ocean. The ocean is the truth, right? Ocean is the most high, the ocean, you know? And so they're all connected. Like all the faiths are actually one, which is Islam, which is the surrendering to the one, to the unity, all components, all variations, all atoms, molecules, whatever, 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 add up to the one, the unity, right? But it's divisible by everything, which is why it's an infinite. And so that's the beautiful thing about the most high. The most high does not exist in this realm, nor does he need to. He doesn't need time, space, matter, whatever, whatever, all the things that we need to. It's so beyond our imagination to comprehend the most high. So therefore, 
the most high who I feel, let's just say, created the universe. And I know that's a, man, look, I get it. It's unpopular to say exactly what I'm about to say right now. And what I'm saying, it's very unpopular, especially to the left or to the right or whatever. Like, I don't care. What I care about is how I see the world. And, and I genuinely believe from my perspective that it doesn't matter to, it shouldn't matter to you whether I'm wrong or right. And I don't need to prove anything. Like that's the reality because I feel like for a long time I like defended Islam and I like don't talk bad about my, my people. You know what I'm saying? Like like had this like very immature, sort of young-minded and, and very insecure about my faith, right? Because there's so much pressure about it being a POS way of looking at life, right? And it's not. It's a very beautiful way to live life. Um, it's very humbling. It's very grounding. The ideals of prayer. Think about this. Meditation is one of the most rising and, and most beautiful things people know to do now, right? And especially in the West. It's a, there's a huge rise in meditation, right? I wonder why. We'll get back to that in a second. Fasting. Think about fasting. Think about intermittent fasting and how that exploded in the last few years, right? Um, think about just thinking positively, just the idea of thinking positively, optimism, right? And how that's not just in a self-improvement world. That's like in healthcare. People tell you like, just think positively about what's about to happen and th that will cause a reaction. Like it's scientific, you know what I'm saying? Okay. So wh where is that practiced? Who, who could, you know, okay. So, um, you know, monks practice those kinds of things, right? Uh, People in religious areas practice with elite athletes practice those kinds of things. Discipline, right? Meditation, pushing your body to limits, doing things like diet and, and, and exercise that normal people don't indulge in heavily, right? Avoiding alcohol, avoiding like right now, there's or there was just um, alcohol free January or whatever it was, right? Like it's funny how the West always comes up with these like one month spurts of like <laughs> Try something like or grow a beard or whatever it is, and that's beautiful. I love. It. I, I I get I get the marketing behind it. Um, but what's interesting is, okay, if meditating, fasting, you know, like connecting, uh, stretching, like all of these things are good for me, and being on purpose, and you know, going towards a goal. If all of those things are part of a quote unquote successful life, then. Who can teach me that at a very high level? And for me, the answer is the Quran and the Prophet Muhammad, right? Because it's a continuation of all of these faiths. It's not different from them. That's how I see it. That's how we see it, is that we don't not see Jesus for who Jesus is. We know who Jesus is very well. We love and respect Jesus and Moses and David and Buddha and, and everyone else that's come before them, right? And Nelson Mandela and, and like and like all these remarkable people that live today that practice those kinds of things, right? So the people we look up to the most, the people that we, and I don't recommend anyone do this, put anyone on a pedestal, but the people that we put on pedestal in culture, they practice these different types of things, such as discipline, whatever. Um, so what I'm trying to say is the prayer Prayer, prayer is our meditation. It's it's continuous. It's obligatory. Like we have to do it. Now, have I done it all my life? No. Have I started and stopped before? Absolutely. Am I a perfect Muslim? No. <laughs> like 
have I fasted and broken my fast? Yes. Like, have I drank alcohol? 100%. Have I smoked some weed? Of course. I'm, again, like I'm a human being, man, and I'm practicing how I deal with my emotions, my numbness, the shit that I've been through, the trauma, the bullshit. Is there an excuse for it? Whatever. I'm growing. I'm learning. I'm just learning. And I'm not failing. I'm learning. And I think that's the most beautiful thing about Islam as well is that it's extremely forgiving. It's extremely, it's why a lot of people in prison turn to it. It's because it's extremely forgiving and you don't, you don't need a test. You don't need, you just, all you have to do is just become a better person. <laughs> That's like, right. And, and have, and through the connection to a higher being, um, that trust, that giving yourself permission and all those kinds of things, um, is how you gain a higher sense of yourself and trustworthiness of, of something much higher trying to elevate you. Um, because you can be demonic, you can be angelic, you can also be your human self, and and that's totally fine. However, that's where I find myself. I find myself, um, you know, honestly, in the last few years, I've leaned more into my prayer. I've leaned into back into fasting. There was quite some time where I didn't do either of them, um, and so you know that happens. And every Muslim has their own way of going about doing it. I'm sure there's a lot of people that would argue with me or debate me heavily. And I don't care to do any of that because I'm not here to be right or wrong. I'm here to just merely like, this is how I practice it. And I'm going to continue to learn how to practice it better. That's all. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. For, for I don't sharing. know if that answers your question. No, yeah, <laughs> yeah. A long totally. question. No, it totally does. Yeah. I mean, there's, right, I mean, there's so right. many avenues we can go down that. Um, well, one thing that, that really caught my attention um, was something that I've been, um, I mean, fascinated with in a way since I was born and raised as a Christian. Um, but over the last like several years of uh, work, I worked with a company who a lot of the work that we did focused around uh, forgiveness. And that was a word that you just mentioned that, you know, was a big part of, uh, I believe you say like, you know, people's maybe appeal to, to Islam um, is like, Oh, like I, there's this sense of probably redemption and forgiveness. And that is something that I don't know because I don't know much about Islam other than very, very rough ideas. Um, so how does forgiveness work within um, within the Muslim religion? Yeah, I mean, I think the Most High created us in, in knowing that through mistakes we will learn, learn lessons and develop and, and grow. But because we have choice, right, to like angels and things like that, we you know they don't have a choice. They know the the most existence. They know the most high. They know the existence for like it's there, right? Like there's no question for us. We get to choose. We have a choice, and whether we relinquish and surrender, sort of our ego, our, our you know what I'm saying. It's not that we don't have them. They'll still be a part of us. But the more discipline we have over them the more they are able to control us and make us do demonic things, right? Not make us do, but lead us astray, if you will, right? And, and, and when those senses are dumbed down, then we are manipulated. And when we are manipulated, we don't make a choice for ourselves. And when we don't make our choice for ourselves, someone else is doing it for us. And that's what we try to, in a way, prevent in Islam, which is why knowledge is the epicenter of Islam. It's why we have to seek knowledge in a way that makes us very aware it enlightens us through our senses through science through you know understanding of our reality and our physical and our mental world right um by understanding those things you have a better 
perspective that you can make a choice from. And ultimately, all of these choices lead to one thing, the choice that you believe in a higher power or you don't. And that's fine. Either one is fine. But the idea that when you do, X, Y, and Z start to happen. And when you don't, X, Y, Z start to happen as well. And whatever those things are for you and your life and your personality and whatever are different for every person. So for me, I'm not, I don't need to push my faith on anyone. If anything, I need to practice it better. <laughs> like that's how I think about it. Right. And with, with the idea of, yeah, I mean, that's just how I perceive my identity is it's an inner, it's the intertwining of, um, yeah, my faith is getting better at it, man. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. cool. So just, just uh, I guess to go, I guess specifically to the idea of um, forgiveness, and I don't know, and I guess the reason yeah. that I'm asking this yeah, question yeah. is, um, yeah. like, the way, yeah. I, yeah. Let me uh, let me okay. take you back. I'm sorry, I didn't sure. fully no, answer good. that. And so forgiveness in the faith of Islam, I mean, it's right there in the in the name surrender, right? Like surrender, and I'll. Essentially, you're forgiven if you surrender or when you surrender or when you're ready to surrender, you'll be forgiven. And the idea that Allah says, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, in the name of Allah, the most beneficial, the most merciful, period. Allah says, I am, there's nothing more beneficial, more merciful than I am. Right? I am that I am. So let's start with that. And then you read the ayah or whatever it is. And it's teaching you something or telling you a story or whatever it is in the Quran. Allah is constantly reiterating that not only do I forgive you, but you got to forgive yourself and move on. <laughs> right? Like, like it's a hard thing to do. Also, taking these ideas of forgiveness, Allah is like, you've been forgiven. You're a human being. You've been forgiven. There's only one thing you have to do is forgive yourself move in the direction and when you forgive yourself you start to become better that's the point of all of this is actually the whole thing is an exercise for you to be better and there's going to be things that challenge you along the way there has to be you can't get muscles without lifting weights man <laughs> we just know that right so like there has to be challenges there has to be things in your way that you have to learn to overcome realizations, perspectives that need to be made, right? And they're going to happen to you. Life is going to do that to you. But it's not life's fault. Life is doing what it's programmed to do, which is challenge you. <laughs> like, it just is. Um, but it's how you navigate those challenges, how you improve them for yourself and others, um, how you open a door, how you respond, react, smile. All of those things play a role in who you're becoming. And that's the essence. So forgiveness from that perspective is that it's work. I'll forgive you, but you're going to have to continue working at being a better person. It's not like I'll forgive you and all your sins are you know, done and welcome to my heaven. Heaven is the hardest thing to earn, period. It has to be. It's the ultimate goal of every individual on earth. It has to be the hardest thing, right? But also, it's the easiest thing. We make it complicated. Think about how many difficult things that we simply just overcomplicate, but they don't have to be, right? Um, so it's not overthinking. It's also emotionally thinking about all of this. Um, there's a lot of people who fear God and there's people who like love God. And there's, you know, like it's this, this constant battle. And I think 
the more we come into terms with just who we are and understand that we are humans and that we are learning through life and that you're compassionate, man, generosity, compassionate, kindness, all of those things that are really hard to practice on a day-to-day basis, I feel like are what add up to the forgiveness, right? Like think about it, you know, when I do something stupid and I say something back to my wife or whatever it is, like it takes a few days to get back into the forgiveness, right? Like just saying, I'm sorry, doesn't cut it. And we know that it's not authentic, but then your actions have to show that uh, revelation of, of forgiveness. And I think that's where, that's where the most high wants us to work at. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, so from, from what I hear, it's like, um, you know, it's like, you're going along you screw up your life you're being an asshole or doing that kind of thing and it's like it from your perspective within islam it's you're given the opportunity to i would say uh a forgive yourself and move towards that but then to you know work and make amends to um move towards uh that that new life that you want to create for yourself is that accurate yeah absolutely man i mean i think I think the most high is, is beautiful and I and I I know for a fact he wants all of us to uh, I mean he's the most forgiving meaning like whatever you do um it's okay it's like you have to forgive yourself and learn learn that the most high isn't there to just judge you like we have such a authoritarian perspective about the most high um that's very humanistic actually it's not it's not it's 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 a very image immature perspective of the most high because it's we just think like he's just going to judge us and kill us and put us in hell and you know and, and destroy our lives and because because we angered him or her or whatever i don't look at it that way at all <laughs> at all there's no way this divinity that is the creator of the mo- you know like it is it's so expansive it's it's hard to it's literally hard for us to imagine that perspective of thinking of how we should one treat ourselves treat one another and think about how he should judge us not there to judge us i think he's there to help us realize our our beautiful essence um through trials and tribulations that lead us to those perceptions perspectives yeah beautiful one beautiful said and you know saying this was a such a beautiful conversation thank you so much for sharing uh and just a beautiful and wonderful perspective that you have uh in this world and um where can people find out more about you follow you anything you want to link them to yeah man thank you for engaging in such a deep conversation man you got me to cry you got me to like (laughs) chat you got me to laugh all of it dude you're great good Uh, well, I'm very grateful, man. Um, where people can find me, just HusseinAlbiati.com or LinkedIn. You can reach out on there. Um, so I'm on socials, but I'm not really on them. They're off my phone and stuff uh, for many distraction reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, LinkedIn, you can reach me on there or you can go to my website and see all the stuff, books, speaking, whatever it is. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Hussein, thank you again so much. It was a pleasure speaking with you and I'll uh, talk with you again soon. Cameron, absolute pleasure, honor, my friend. Thank you.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Getting to Know You. If you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I did in making it for you, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. It would really help the show out. Additionally, if you'd like to stay in touch, consider following me on Instagram at Cam Edward Benton. That's Cam, C-A-M-E-D-W-A-R-D-B-E-N-T-O-N on Instagram and YouTube if you want to follow the show on there as well. Once again, thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening, for taking the time, for being curious. It means the absolute world to me. So thank you from the bottom of my heart.